We're turning tonight to Galatians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 5. Reading at verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now if you'll turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And we want to read it, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us uh, as we study your word together tonight. And we... Pray that you might help us to see things here in your word that will be a help to us in our walk with you and a help to us in our ministry for you, which is reaching the people around us with the truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last couple of messages on Sunday night uh, in our studies in the book of Galatians, we've been thinking about those words that we read in verse 1. Christ hath made us free. Christ hath made us free. And, and those words um, there in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 brought us to the words of the Lord Jesus here in John chapter 8. He said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We've been thinking about what these verses make very clear. And that is that you cannot have freedom without truth. You cannot have freedom without the one who is the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He declared that in John 14 and verse 6, that I am the truth. You cannot have freedom without the word of God. In John 17 and verse 17 The Lord Jesus prayed something concerning us. And his prayer to the Father was, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That teaches us something about the critical nature of the oneness of God and his word. Jesus Christ, the word living, is the truth. And his word, the word of God, the word written, And I would say the King James Bible is the truth. And so you cannot have freedom without God and his word. And we've talked about the connection here between verse 31 and verse 32. The Lord says in verse 31, if ye continue in my word, and then he tells us two things that continuing in his word does. First of all, continuing in his word is the proof that we are his disciples indeed. This word indeed means truly, 
And so continuing in his word is the proof that we're truly saved. If you continue, if, if you love me, the Lord Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said in verse 23 of that chapter, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And the apostle John heard the Lord clearly and plainly. And the Spirit of God had him write these words in 1 John 2 and verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The person who claims to know the Lord and doesn't continue in his word, that person has a false profession. Christ has not made that person free. They're still in the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage of their sin. And so continuing in his word is the test as to whether we are truly saved. And continuing in his word does something else. If ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is what's wrong in America. This nation has not continued in the word of God, the King James Bible. And the blame for that lies at the feet of the churches of this nation. And that's not just the churches of the mainline denominations. It's many churches that believe and preach the gospel. And the result is a nation that is not continuing in the word of God. The result is a, na- is a nation that does not know the truth. And the only alternative to the truth is a lie. The alternative to the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, is the devil. The one who is a liar and the father of it. As we read in verse 44 of John chapter 8. And when a nation rejects the truth, when a nation rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, then that nation chooses a lie. That nation chooses the father of lies. And the consequence of that choice is a nation that is no longer free. Rejecting the truth and choosing to believe a lie is an indication just how close we are to the return of the Lord Jesus to the air. When the disciples asked the Lord in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, They ask him this question. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And the first sign that the Lord gave them was this. Take heed that no man deceive you. This is why Pastor Kelly said years ago that the number one sign of the last days is deception. Deception. Cunningly devised Fables, lies dressed up as the truth. And in our day, these cunningly devised fables are put forth particularly in the name of science many, many times. But it is science falsely so called. Paul warned Timothy about that. Science falsely so called. And the Spirit of God is warning us about it. 
And so the only way that only way that we can discern true science from false science, the only way to discern the truth from the deception of the father of lies is to continue in the word of God. That's simple, isn't it, really? We've been talking about examples of how this nation has rejected the truth of God and his word. Things that are resulting in the loss of freedom. We spent two messages talking about the lie of climate change. And I promise that I'm going to get off of that horse. But I'd like to just come at it one more time tonight, if you will uh, allow me to. I think it's important because the extent to which this lie is being propagated and believed is amazing. And the reason is so simple. We have left. We have not continued in the Word of God. And I want us to to, to look and think about this tonight. I'd like for you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and I'd like for us to read at verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. God said, Let there be a firmament in um, the defined King James Bible. Uh, Dr. D.A. Waite, in his note on this verse, defines the word firmament in a very simple way. He says it means the sky. The sky. It's the heavens. It's the air. It's the atmosphere that surrounds our earth. And what the, the firmament did, as we see it here, is it divided the waters from the waters. The waters uh, on the earth from the waters that were above the earth. The waters that were above the earth were a vapor canopy all around the earth. And and that vapor canopy, as Dr. Henry Morris points out, um, provided a very efficient greenhouse effect on the earth. It gave the earth a it gave the earth one climate, a continuous uh, spring like climate. It provided an ideal environment for plants and animals. It provided an ideal environment for the longevity of men. That's why men live such long lives before the flood. The average age of the man, of men in the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, from Adam to Noah, and uh, if you exclude Enoch, who was translated that he should not see death, he was translated at the young age of 365. 
But if you take the average from Adam to Noah, you exclude Enoch, the average age is 912 years. After the flood, that age drops significantly. If you look at Genesis chapter 11 and you look at the ages of men from Shem to Sirug, the average age drops to 378. And from Nahor, who was Terah's um, father, who was Abraham's father, from him to Joseph, Joseph is the last man whose death and age are recorded in the book of Genesis. The average drops to 156. That's an 83% reduction in the longevity of men's lives after the flood. And it's due in part to this vapor canopy, this water vapor. On the day of the flood, it condensed and it fell to the earth as rain. Look over at Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Look at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. The opening of the windows of heaven. And I think it's interesting that the Spirit of God refers to this vapor canopy as the windows of heaven. And I believe he does it because water vapor is translucent. You can see through it. And so even though there was this vapor canopy, this uh, water vapor that was surrounding the earth, man could still look at the moon and the stars without any problem. It was just like looking through a window on the heavens. Looking at the, the, through a window to the heavens that declare the glory of God. And so the windows of heaven are a description of the vapor canopy. And it condensed and it fell to earth on this day. It fell to the earth as rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord removing the waters that were above the firmament, his removing of this vapor canopy, and it was just one part of the changes that took place on the flood. But the flood caused some significant changes to the earth. Peter refers to this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's just take a minute and turn over there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's talking about the skeptics and the doubters concerning the return of the Lord, the scoffers. And he says in verse 5, For this 
they willingly are ignorant of. Very important words. Willingly ignorant of. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. This is the world before the flood, standing out of the water. That was the dry land. And in the water, this, uh, that, that's a, a reference, I believe, to this vapor canopy that surrounded the earth. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Peter talks about the world that then was. The world before the flood being overflowed with water. He's talking about the flood of waters that came from, we just read about it in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. The water that came from the fountains of the great deep being broken up and the windows of heaven that were opened. And the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But then he says this in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now post-flood. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word. He tells us what that same word is in verse 5. It's the word of God. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter's words here are very critical. They're very important. He's telling us that there was a pre-flood world, and that world was destroyed by the waters of the flood. But the heavens and the earth which are now, there's a, a different earth, if you will, the heavens and the earth which are now. The heavens were changed by the flood. This vapor canopy fell to the earth. And the change that brought to the heavens is that now the harmful effects of radiation from space were, that were filtered out by the vapor canopy would not be filtered out as they were. Now they'll reach the earth. This is why there's this drastic drop. It's one of the reasons that there's this drastic drop in the longevity of man. His, his, this drop in his age from an average of 912 years in Genesis chapter 5 to an average of 156 years at the end of the book of Genesis. And there are other changes that took place in the earth. Uh, let's go back to Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, and look at Genesis chapter 9, if you will. Genesis chapter 9. And look at verse 13. God says, I do set my bow in the cloud. I do set my bow in the cloud. This is the first time that we find the word cloud in the Bible. And it comes after the flood. And so the indication 
is that there were no clouds before the flood because there was no rain. Genesis 2 and verse 5 tells us that there was no rain. Now, after the flood, there was going to be clouds. There was going to be rain. We read about that last week in Job chapter 36, verse 27 and 28. For he maketh small the drops of water, They pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. This is what the Lord is talking about here. I do set my bow in the cloud. Now look at verse 14. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth. The Lord is in charge of the weather, folks that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. The waters from heaven, the rain that is now, is now going to fall from the clouds of heaven on the earth, which now is the post-flood earth. Those waters are not going to become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the token of God's promise is the bow that he sees. He sees it in every cloud that he brings on the earth. We don't always see it. We always get excited when we see a rainbow. But God sees it every time he brings A cloud on the earth. And so it's it's his token. It is his, he says, I will remember when I see that that bow, then I'm going to remember the covenant that I have with every person, with all flesh, The waters that are going to fall from these clouds are not going to become a flood to destroy all flesh. And neither are the waters of the deep. Neither are the waters of the deep going to again destroy the earth. And that's where our verse, we we talked about this verse, I guess two weeks ago, I think we may have mentioned it last week. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Ye shall, shall, will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. You could draw a line in your Bible. I think you could draw a line from Jeremiah 5.22 here to Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, in the world that now is, there are going to be storms in the sea, very serious storms. We call them hurricanes. And they aren't new. God is talking about them right here. The waves tossing themselves. The waves roaring, pretty good description of a, of a hurricane. The Apostle Paul was caught in one. 
in the book of Acts. And they aren't more powerful now than they've ever been. I think it was two weeks ago that we talked about an 1899 hurricane called San Siriaco. It's widely considered to be the the worst storm to hit the U.S. Atlantic coast. It was the longest-lived hurricane on record. We talked about the great Galveston hurricane of 1900 that killed more than 6,000 people. We talked about Hurricane Hazel that hit North and South Carolina on October the 15th, 1954, and all the damage it did. In today's dollars, the damage from Hurricane Hazel was almost $3 billion. This past Thursday, September 21st, was the 85th anniversary of the Great New England Hurricane. Any of you hear anything about that Thursday? You probably didn't because all of the weather people were vibrating about this low-pressure area off the coast that developed into a tropical storm. And they were, they were hoping against hope that it would turn into a uh, Category 1 hurricane. And it just did my heart so good. The, the, str- the, uh, the, the strongest winds got to 70 miles an hour. It had to get to 74 to be a hurricane. And I was so happy it never got there. And this is not something new. These kind of things happen from time to time. But I want to tell you just a little bit about the great New England hurricane. Because it was the most destructive storm to hit that region in the 20th century. This storm, I want you to listen to this, traveled parallel to the eastern seaboard at 60 miles per hour. That wasn't the winds. That's how fast this storm was moving. 60 miles an hour. If you watch the weather and you hear these people talking about a hurricane now, they'll say, oh, me, it's moving at 15 miles an hour, 14 or 18. This one moved at 60 miles per hour, 85 years ago, by the way. The downtown area of Providence, Rhode Island, was 13 feet underwater. At the Blue Hill Observatory, It's located just south of Boston. A wind gust of 186 miles per hour was recorded. One of the highest wind gusts in history. 600 people were killed. 700 people were injured. 9,000 homes and buildings were destroyed. 15,000 homes and buildings destroyed were damaged. Twelve new inlets were created on Long Island. The total damages of the great New England hurricane were $306 million, which equals $18 billion in today's dollars. And I want to give credit to the History Channel, history.com, for printing this information. I get a little thing on my phone every morning called This Day in History. And, you know, they had a long list of stuff. Some of it's interesting, some of it's not. This was at the top. It was the headline. 
September 21st, 1938, the great New England hurricane. I'm surprised they would do that, but I commend them for it. These storms are part of the post-flood world. They're part of the earth that is now. And what happened after every one of these hurricanes, the bad ones, the serious ones, what happens after all the hurricanes that come? Just exactly what God said would happen in Jeremiah 5.22. He said that he had placed the sand for the bound of the sea by perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. And they don't. The sea goes right back to where it was. And there's the sand. There's that bound. People visit it, and they don't stop to think about the importance of it. Now, look across the page at, at Genesis 8.22. This is another verse that we talked about, but it's an important one. This is the earth that is now. This is the post-flood world. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. This is another change that came as a result of the flood. There was only one season before the flood. After the flood, there's four seasons. There was only one climate, if you will, before the flood. Now the earth, the earth's climate has changed because this vapor canopy was gone. And God tells us about the change in this verse. God says that from this time forward, now there's going to be four seasons. And the Lord even tells us that there are going to be variations within these four seasons. And the variables will involve two things, cold and heat. And so there will be colder springs and there will be hotter springs. There will be colder Falls and hotter falls. There'll be colder summers. I remember, I think it was 1997, working in June out uh, washing windows, and I was about to freeze to death. The temperature was in the 50s. I had to wear a sweatshirt in June. So there'll be colder summers, there'll be hotter summers, there'll be colder winters, there'll be hotter winters. And the thing is that this is exactly what we have if you look back at the history of the last almost 4,500 years. It's exactly what God said it was. And it's going to be that way, God says, while the earth remaineth. It'll be that way because of what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now... By the same word, the word of God, that's what he said in verse 5, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The next destruction of this earth is not going to be by water. It's going to be by fire. And the, something that stands out in this verse or the words, but the heavens and the earth which are now are kept in store. They are reserved, preserved, if you will, by the word of God. 
And what that means is that there is no such thing as man-made climate change. Man is not going to destroy the heavens and the earth, which are now. Man is not going to change or alter or destroy that which is kept by the word of God. He cannot do it. But because we haven't continued in the word of God, then we don't know the truth and what is out there and what is being believed is a lie. I'll give you a couple of headlines that illustrate the point. This is from Forbes. A Bill Gates venture aims to spray dust into the atmosphere to block the sun. Think about that. And if it's good enough for Bill Gates, it's good enough for Joe Biden. Because this is the headline from the website independentsentinel.com. Biden backs Bill Gates' chemical cloud to block the sun. Can you imagine intelligent people believing that? Brings to mind Romans chapter 1, doesn't it? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We saw the foolishness of this idea last week from the book of Job. And from Nobel Prize winning physicist John Clauser, Job 37, 16 says, Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? And we talked about what Mr. Clauser and other scientists have come to learn 3,500 years after Job said it, is that clouds are the balancer that act like a a natural thermostat for the earth's temperature. And clouds are formed as the sun evaporates water from the oceans. And so if you block the sun, you remove the balance of the clouds. You interfere with the natural thermostat for the control of earth's temperature. This, Folks, this is the folly of man who has rejected the word of God. The folly of man who has not continued in the word of God. And the result is a nation that believes a lie. The result is people, you and me, who are losing their freedom because this lie is driving the policies of the government and the decisions of the courts. Uh, Mrs. Pond sent me this right before church. Um, A Texas judge upholds Biden climate rule. Judge Matthew Casmark of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas today rejected a Republican-led challenge to a Labor Department rule that makes it easier for retirement plan sponsors to account for climate risk with environmental, social, and governance investing. In other words, a company may be a great investment for your 401k, 
But if it's not an environmentally friendly company, then this rule allows these uh, companies to say, well, we're not investing in that company. We're not going to put your money in that. We're going to put, you, we're going to put your money in wind farms. And we're going to put your money in solar panels. Boy, the number of solar panels that have uh, companies that have gone broke with government money dumped into them, it's amazing. But these are the kind of investments you need to put your, this is where your money needs to go. So guess what happens when you get ready to retire, young people? You aren't going to have any money. <laughs> it's going to be frittered away on a lie, on a lie. But this is driving the decisions of the courts. That brings up one other thing, and I'll hush. I was reading this week about the Attorney General of California. And what he's going to do is he's going to sue, I believe, the five major oil companies. And he claims that they knew about global warming back in the 50s. And they knew about climate change back in the 50s. They knew a lot about a lie back in the 50s is what he's saying. And what he, his point is this. He says, okay, they kept producing oil. It kept going into automobiles. It, it kept raising the carbon emissions. And that's responsible for the wildfires in California. It's, a, it's responsible for flooding rains. It's responsible for mud, fly, mud slides. And so, therefore, it's responsible for the lives that were lost. It's responsible for the property that was damaged. And this is what he said. It's time for them to pay. Now, if you don't think this kind of suit works, just go back and read about the suit against the tobacco companies several years ago. They were sued for making people sick. Now, I'm no proponent of tobacco. you got no business smoking. I learned very early in life when my daddy was out raking leaves and I was helping him, and he set them on fire, and I got kind of caught in the pile there and started breathing smoke into my lungs. I learned pretty quick, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> well, my mother smoked. But you know what I never saw? I never saw one man from the Lucky Strike Cigarette Company come to our house and take her by the arm and poke a cigarette into her mouth and light it. Never happened. She chose to do that. And the consequences of her choice were a stroke and lung cancer that eventually took her life. But see, it's this idea that it's not your fault. Same idea with guns. We're going to sue the, the, the gun companies out of existence. They're responsible for, for uh, all the killing and all the mayhem that goes on in this country. I love the police chief of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, he's an African-American gentleman, and there was that shooting there where this um, white guy went in and was killing. The, his killings were racially motivated, and so they got to the the black police chief, and they said, look, uh, tell us about what you think about this. He said, I'll tell you what I think about this. We don't have a gun problem. We've got a people problem. He said, I can take my gun out of my holster and lay it right here on this table. It'll never kill one soul. It'll never kill a soul. Well, folks, it's the same thing with this lawsuit of the oil companies. 
they're going to extract from them, in all likelihood, billions of dollars. And guess who's going to get the money? It's not the people that lost houses and lands. The government gets it. So they can become more and more powerful. That's what this is all about. And think about what's going to happen to gas prices. Up and up and up to where you can't hardly afford to put gas in your car. But that's what they want. They want to take away your freedom. The automobile, one of the most outstanding examples of personal freedom in this country. You can get in it and go anywhere you've got the money to go. You don't have to consult the government. You can just go. They're trying to take that freedom away from us. Folks, we must preach, we must write, we must teach, we must stand for the Word of God. If ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the simplicity that is in Christ. We thank you for the simplicity of your word, and that we can go to it, and we can know the truth. We can continue in it. We can know the truth, the truth that will set us free spiritually first and foremost from the bondage of our sin. And it will give us individual and personal freedom if we live within its precepts. Help us to understand this and help us to communicate it to the people around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.